in September 2022. Here in the United Kingdom, there was a minor but very interesting media controversy around a game that featured as part of a morning national news program. Viewers of the program were invited to phone in and if they were lucky, they would be put through for a conversation with the presenters of the program. And the presenters would spin a big wheel, a glittering wheel of fortune, no less, with various prizes inscribed around its circumference, some bigger, some smaller, and at whichever of these the wheel stops spinning, that would be the prize that the lucky viewer would win. What occasion the controversy in September 2022 was not anything to do with the fairness of this competition, but the nature of the prizes on offer. At the time in question, the UK was in the grip of a cost of living crisis. The price of energy, gas and electricity had doubled, tripled, suddenly putting financial distress on many, many households. The controversy around that game, that wheel of fortune on that news programme, came from the inclusion among the prizes of having the TV show pay for the lucky winner's energy bills and household bills. This was deemed highly offensive from various different quarters for a variety of reasons. In essence, because something that had formerly been considered as an essential for a decent average standard of living, energy, being able to keep yourself and your family warm, was suddenly being presented in this game as if it was some kind of special prize. Many read this as a sign of the rapid decline in the standing of the United Kingdom. And indeed, clips from the news programme of this Wheel of Fortune with the energy bills included among the prizes were shown on Russian state television where commentators presented it as evidence for precisely that. Beginning by exploring precisely what it might be that caused the offence in this controversy and also the dynamics of choosing to use a wheel of fortune to turn whatever that issue might be into a game. This, I hope, will lead us directly to the heart of the dilemmas and challenges that confront us whenever, in the tarot, the wheel of fortune card appears.
When misfortune strikes, what we mean by that is life becomes more difficult for whatever reason to a greater or lesser extent. It becomes more of a struggle to stay alive to the extent that a human being becomes preoccupied only with the question of survival, then, from the outside at least, it might appear as if we've fallen away a little bit from the human world towards, instead, the world of animals. Misfortune acts upon us in a way that can tend to constrict the horizons of our world. Rather than anything else we might like to do, we have to direct our focus to the practicalities that are going to take us from one day to the next. And conversely, it might be said that when good fortune comes along, life gets easier. And what that means is we have greater freedom from having to worry about the practicalities of bare survival. In that case, it might be said that we ascend away a little bit from that animal world, more deeply into that human world, with its opportunities for pursuit of human pleasures that might involve culture or the idea of fun just for fun's sake. The disadvantages of misfortune are pretty obvious, but there are disadvantages to good fortune also. These are less often commented on, but the problem with life becoming easier, with not having to think about bare survival quite so much, is that perhaps we don't have to care so much about things. And the danger in good fortune making us feel more carefree is that this might tip over into us becoming careless, not really giving a damn about the underlying conditions of our life, our survival, even though, of course, this remains present and important. Maybe what's becoming apparent at this point is that the spin-it-to-win-it Wheel of Fortune game on the morning news show was offensive because it was manifesting this carefree attitude, this carelessness towards the misfortune and suffering of others. However, maybe it's not quite as simple as that, because like all archetypes, the Wheel of Fortune is neither intrinsically malign or beneficent. Down the centuries, 
The Wheel of Fortune has received quite a wide variety of different depictions. But one thing that pretty much all of them have in common is the wheel having various people or characters attached to its circumference. And what that very vividly shows is that if there's one person on one side of the wheel moving in an upward direction, then necessarily somebody on the opposite point of that circle is moving downwards. Whatever perspective we take upon the material world, it doesn't matter everywhere we will see the dynamics of this archetype at work. If we can start to let go of the commonly held conception that good fortune is something necessarily to be welcomed, then maybe we can start to grasp the dynamics of this archetype for what they are. Fundamentally, the Wheel of Fortune presents us with something that is essentially just a mechanism. A kind of motor that, without thought or intention, is forever turning. Good fortune on one side of the wheel, bad fortune on the other. One is merely the compensation for the other. The inevitable compensation. Perhaps from this perspective it becomes understandable at least what, despite the outrage that it caused, the producers of that spin it to win it game might have thought they were doing. If viewers are having trouble paying their bills, then transforming having their bills paid from a daily struggle into the potential prize of a game isn't that in a way restoring to us the upward moving side of the wheel suddenly people's daily struggle with trying to keep warm is turned into an opportunity for entertainment. It lifts us out of our basic needs into that more cultural human domain of play and fun. But in the process, as we've seen, the danger is that what has become carefree tips into becoming careless not giving a damn, and then that too requires compensation by the downward moving side of the wheel, which reconnects us to our suffering, the raw animal suffering that's also part of human life, and that as physical embodied creatures we also need to be aware of. To what extent we can see all these ideas reproduced in the imagery associated with this archetype depends largely on whichever tarot deck we happen to be using. 
some depictions of the Wheel of Fortune are a lot more sophisticated and subtle than others. As seems to be the general rule, the Marseille Tarot, even though it's medieval, the oldest deck that survives, for all the apparent crudity of its imagery, nevertheless, it's the most sophisticated. We're presented with a really bizarre contraption, a wheel on a kind of trestle with a handle to turn it, and affixed quite tightly and awkwardly to either side of the wheel. On the left side, descending, is a creature that looks like a monkey. And on the right side, moving upwards, an animal that looks a bit like a dog. As the anonymous author of Meditations on the Tarot points out, with regard to the symbolism of monkeys and dogs, a monkey is an animal that looks a bit like a human. But we diverged from each other quite some time ago on the evolutionary tree, and for all its superficially human characteristics, a monkey might be viewed as an animal that has resolutely diverged from us and remained part of the animal kingdom. And then there's the dog on the other side of the wheel, because there seems to be no animal that more than a dog is attracted to the company of humans. So, on the left-hand side of the wheel, moving down, something that might look a bit like a human, but is resolutely not, and on the right-hand side of the wheel, moving up, the dog, which, although manifestly a member of the animal kingdom, nevertheless gravitates towards the human world. And then, additionally, in many renditions of this card, there's a third creature sitting kind of above the wheel on a platform, as if it were neither descending or ascending, but presiding over the turning of the wheel. This creature is a sphinx, a composite animal, part eagle, part lion, part bull, and part human. In the Marseille deck, the sphinx is wearing a crown and holding a sword, suggesting that it holds a position of power, perhaps, in relation to the Wheel of Fortune. The Sphinx might be taken to represent a metaphysical and mythical unity of the human and the animal. This is how the author of Meditations on the Tarot describes what might be going on here. It is a matter, he writes, of the practical solution of the problem how to accomplish 
without eradication or ejection, a wholeness of the human and animal elements in the human personality, without the former animalizing, becoming monkey, or the latter falling under the tyrannical domination, becoming dog, of the former. In other words, how to descend into the animal element without becoming animalized, and how to make an ascent without the coercion of animality to the human element. Previously, we've approached this as a complementary dynamic. What the Sphinx introduces into this dynamic, perhaps, is an ideal and also a challenge. The integration of the animal and the human into something that recognises both can inhabit both, and by being both, maybe it has the ability to rise above suffering and misfortune, but also to remain caring and careful in the face of good fortune. The present historical moment is maybe as good a time as any to serve as a reminder of the importance of maintaining contact with our human suffering. We see billionaires, individuals who have enjoyed incredible good fortune, and yet it seems that all they can think to do with this wealth is to develop their own space program. Ascend, literally, to an incredible height above the earth, above suffering humanity below. The present historical moment is one in which we might be slightly more aware than otherwise of the very damaging effect that too much prevalence of these kinds of individuals might have. If one side is going up, then necessarily the other side is going down. That's what the wheel teaches us. If billionaires are getting ever richer, then by necessity that means other people are getting poorer. So, how might we respond in the light of what the Wheel of Fortune teaches us? How is it that we all might go about trying to become a bit more like the Sphinx? Follow thy fortune careless where it lead thee, the axle moveth not, attain thou that. This is one of Alistair Crowley's comments on the Wheel of Fortune in the Book of Thoth. And other commentators have taken a similar view 
perhaps influenced by a Buddhist style of teaching, unsurprisingly perhaps because a turning wheel is a, a key symbol of Buddhism itself. The wheel of samsara, of birth and rebirth, forever turning. And what the Buddha offered us, of course, was a method for getting off that wheel, escaping the usual round of human suffering and rebirth. But is it totally correct? And more importantly, is it helpful to draw a simple equivalence between the Buddhist wheel of samsara and this Western archetype that we're discussing today, the wheel of fortune. Follow thy fortune, careless where it lead thee, said Crowley. In the light of our discussion, maybe that word careless stands out. If we find ourselves careless about what happens to us, careless of our fortune, is that because we've somehow got off the wheel? Or might it be because we don't need to care at the present moment because we're enjoying rising up on the ascending side of the wheel. We're enjoying good fortune. The axle moveth not, says Crowley. Attain thou that. Well, in all the depictions of the tarot wheel of fortune, although there are many that depict people and beings affixed to the circumference of the wheel and arising or descending as a consequence of its motion, we actually struggle to find any depiction that includes any kind of person or being at the wheel's centre. Where do we find anywhere in the tarot Anything hinting that the centre of the Wheel of Fortune is a state or experience that can be enjoyed by a human being. The only feature of the centre of the Wheel that is sometimes highlighted is it's where the handle is. If we look at the centre of the Wheel we discover only this handle whole thing is just a silly, clunky mechanism. The centre of the wheel is merely the point around which all of this turns. It doesn't seem to offer us anything in terms of meaningful human experience. That's what lies on the circumference of the wheel. What happens in the centre is not on offer to us, 
on a game show when the wheel of fortune is spun. There are no prizes in the centre. The centre is just a point that enables the whole drama of the game to unfold. There's one tarot deck, the Visconti Sforza deck, that does depict something at the centre of the wheel. A person. A woman, blindfolded, a personification of the goddess Lady Fortune. But what's she doing at the centre? Well, surprise, surprise, she's merely turning the handles to make the whole thing turn. This might strike us as pretty menial work for a goddess to be doing. In dealing with the challenges that this archetype confronts us with, might it be more helpful to take the view that we're necessarily always on the moving circumference of that wheel, and consequently we're always either moving up or moving down, and imminently perhaps about to change direction. What the imagery of the tarot perhaps suggests is that the antidote to moving too far to one of these directions lies in finding a way to move to some extent in the opposite direction. When certain commentators suggest that we should aspire somehow towards the centre of the wheel, to finding a way not to be swept along by its motion, to be careless of our fortune, as Crowley put it, then what this actually might be is the seeking of a response to bad or misfortune, to the frustration of our basic needs, to human suffering in general. When we feel overcome by suffering, indeed it can be useful in those times to try and cultivate the perspective of the other side of the wheel, trying to find ways to rise up above our suffering. And indeed, there are whole systems of thought and practice that can support us in this. Systems such as Buddhism itself, or Stoicism, and more modern expressions such as cognitive behavioural therapy. When we're afflicted by misfortune and suffering, we can attempt to position ourselves on the opposite side of the wheel by rising up, recognising how our negative thoughts are just thoughts, recognising how difficult feelings are just feelings, using consciousness, heightened awareness, 
as a lever to try to raise ourselves up out of the pain of our position. However, the wisdom of the Wheel of Fortune lies in how it reminds us very vividly that if one part of the wheel is moving up, then another part is moving down. And because there's no getting off of the wheel, then maybe what we can aim for instead is a harmonisation of that upward and downward motion. But when we find ourselves moving downward into suffering and a confrontation with our basic animal embodied nature, we can develop our capacity for consciousness and awareness to rise above that. But equally, just as important, when we find ourselves moving upwards on that wheel, and the struggle for material existence begins to feel as if it's something way below us, then to avoid becoming disembodied, dispassionate, careless, to maintain our capacity for compassion and being a considerate and caring human being, then it will be necessary to reconnect with our suffering bodily nature all over again.